0: It's Friday, and as of today, Fridays mean that we at CityCast Houston are going to talk about this week in Houston News. Joining me are CityCast contributor and news junkie Evan Mintz and freelance writer Shiam Gallian, whose work on anti-war and anti-authoritarian international movements has appeared everywhere from Warscapes magazine to Teen Vogue. Like I said, it's Friday, February 25th. 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Hi, Evan. Hi, Shiam. Hey, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. First up, I want to ask, what is your top story of the week, Evan? What do you think is the most important thing happening
1: in Houston? Well, I think the obvious top story of the week is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It is not happening in Houston, thank goodness. Uh, but it is going to impact Houston in many, many ways. This is an awful thing that's happening in Europe because Vladimir Putin saw a neighbor that was once part of the Russian Empire. Its people looked more longingly towards a democratic West than his oligarchy petro state where opponents fall out of windows and the press is murdered suddenly for no reason. And as people who oppose his reign end up poisoned, this is an awful, terrible place. Of course, you don't want to be part of it. Um, but Russia is also one of the world's top oil producers.
0: And this is where Houston
2: comes in.
1: Exactly. It's, it's a gas station with nukes, as people has put it.
2: I think Houston comes in in a lot of ways, but you're just saying Russia's connection to Houston comes in through oil. We're also the largest resettler of refugees.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's absolutely going to be something that we take part in too. But if you were just kind of sitting around wondering, you know, I live in Houston, how is this going to impact me? Uh. Well, if you're going to see oil prices start to hit 100, 110, 120, 130, because of speculation about how Russia's oil is going to flow or whether they're going to be hit by sanctions, uh, Germany has already canceled the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is a controversial way to move natural gas around Ukraine through the Baltics uh, to Germany. Uh, we're, we're already starting to see these big impacts. But what seems interesting to me is that usually when you have the prospect $150 oil, uh, people are happy about that, you know, folks are going to be Houston. Yeah, just in Houston. Houston sorry. <laughs> yeah. Houstonians get happy about that, because it means you're going to be making a lot of money. And everyone's going to be ordering $400 gold coated fajitas again, you know, living like it's 2013. And that's not happening. People aren't happy. And it's because the Big, most important pipeline in oil and gas uh, has dried up, and that's not the Keystone, that's not Nord Stream, it's the pipeline that takes money from Wall Street and moves it to Texas. All of these investors feel burned after the last big fracking boom and bust, and they're not willing to put their money into expansion, into drilling, into that kind of investment that would make us meet the demand of the moment. Uh, what you are seeing is that big oil companies are doing a lot of share buybacks, which is good news for shareholders, but not necessarily for rig workers or drillers or just people who kind of work in office buildings.
0: So we're not going to see as much trickle down in the rest of the Houston economy.
1: Probably not.
0: Because those people are not buying more expensive lunches. They're not buying nicer mm-hmm.
1: cars. Uh, and now things could change. And you know, if oil really starts to get up there, you know, everything looks like a good investment.
0: Shiam, you were talking about the refugees who... Are almost certainly going to be coming to Houston. What do you see happening?
2: I also came in with that as one of my top stories, and um, it's cool that Evan was able to provide um, one link to Houston through oil and gas. Uh, but my mind immediately went to, you know, Houston is one of the largest re- resettlement cities in the world. You know, they say that if Houston was its own country, we would be fourth in the world um, in resettling refugees. I know about this because my family is Syrian, um, and so, which means I'm Syrian, I guess. And, um, Syrian American. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the past 10 years, I would say there was, um, a period where I was like really involved locally with trying to figure out how does refugee resettlement work in Texas. I actually, I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest. I know that there's calls for, from people in the United States to call senators, to call representatives, um, and to lift the, the cap on refugees or to make an exception for Ukraine. There's, there's like a quota in how much the U.S. resettles. And so what I've seen people asking for is, um, kind of like a mobilization, uh, you know, call your representatives, Let's at least make it easy for people to come here to escape, you know, this militarized invasion, this, this attack. One talking point that I've noticed or like one kind of dynamic is, um, Russia saying like, oh, we're, we're here defending like the sovereignty of these areas. Um, and people across different areas of the spectrum kind of, Believing in that, yeah, um, and I uh, I lump that into actually disinformation in the same way that we have vaccine disinformation. You know, these borders are man made; they're artificial, and the pe- like. The people who have been on the receiving end of colonial and imperial wars, who have had their borders drawn for them, know this. So, for peace loving people, people who are interested in justice and stability, kind of take notice. Like, w- was there a grassroots movement? Was there like referendums? You know, what were the things that kind of pointed to sovereignty? And I say that because in Syria, we did have that push for sovereignty. And, um, you know, people kind of came in and they said, well, actually, we need to defend Syria's, the the, like autocratic fascist regime of Bashar al-Assad's sovereignty to his own state. So, so like pay attention to how sovereignty is used and understand don't get frustrated kind of treat it the same way as you might treat vaccine disinformation. And I I think we just need to like pay attention to what's happening locally with the economy and also like we might be getting new neighbors. So to pay attention mm-hmm. to the refugee agencies, there's I think Refugee Services of Texas, the YMCA does resettlement here. Keep an eye out for that. Next up,
0: I want to ask which story each of you thinks did not get enough play this week. Evan, what is what is on your mind? What should we have heard more about?
1: It isn't just a story, but like a full on political dynamic that was brought to my attention this week. The next door Twitter divide in local media and politics. <laughs> and, and and once you okay. see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, but this was... Uh, brought up in the context of the 11th Street bike lane proposal. Uh, The idea is right now it's a a four lane road. The idea is to add more lanes to it for bikes. It'll be two extra bike lanes, a turn lane in the middle, and one car lane in each direction.
0: Okay. And this is a road that goes through the Heights, which is very active in both.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's a walkable, reasonably dense neighborhood with a mix of homes and businesses. Like this makes perfect sense. In the Twitter world of urbanists, this makes perfect sense. Uh, the the four lane road as it exists now only really provides a benefit during one hour a day worth of rush hour. The rest of the time, it's wasted land, wasted utility, adding bike paths, mm-hmm. making this better for everyone, no matter whether in your car or not, will make the streets safer and more usable. Uh, it, it's a wonderful idea. But in the next door world, yeah. this is awful. Nobody bikes. Yeah. This will ruin businesses. It'll make traffic worse. (laughs) And even Buchanan's, Uh even my wonderful Buchanan's gardening store is against it. And they actually hosted an anti-bike lane gathering this week. It's just a a shot to my soul.
0: Because nobody goes to buy a tree or a yard full of plants on their bike. I mean,
1: you can. People were posting pictures (laughs) of themselves on their cargo bikes Hauling away trees to show that yes, they do this.
0: Shiam, what about you? What story do you think should have gotten more attention?
2: Man, I'm so excited to talk about this because for me, the underhyped story this week is also the story that brought me the most joy. Oh, um, okay, which is the Northeast Action Collective had a rally in front of the city of Houston, um, and they're a grassroots community like um, group. They're also, I think, an umbrella coalition. Um, that's fighting for better drainage um in certain neighborhoods in Houston. How
0: how does this bring you joy?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I uh worked for 10-ish years in the nonprofit space, and this was one of the most well-organized, creative uh I felt like it was a very powerful event. This was this is a very important issue, especially as we know, like Houston is one of the frontline cities that's gonna be continuing to see the effects of our changing climate um, locally. And then these neighborhoods, um, they, I actually, they, it's so well organized. I have this like information packet with me complete yeah. with pictures, maps.
0: And these neighborhoods, these are like minority underrepresented, underrepresented in the political system neighborhoods. They are mainly Northeast Houston.
2: They're mainly Northeast. but I'm looking at, there's this group represented the Northeast ones, but there are some, um, In other areas, they like have these maps that show it Uh and they show how they show how like there's apparently like a tax on drainage and then they show like where's the drainage funding being spent, who lives in those areas. So the areas that have a high density of African-American populations are getting less money spent on drainage. And then they also show a map of social vulnerability um, and that lines up also with the neighbourhoods that are getting the least money spent on them, and they're also uh, majority Black and Indigenous and people of color neighborhoods. And when I was telling my dad this, because he's on the board, the levy board for Sugarland, and so I was like, Dad, we need to talk about this. And he was like, um, He was like, you know, Sheam, <laughs> uh, Harvey was like a once in a five hundred years like events. And I said, No, dad, these places are flooding, even when it's a normal rain, even when the rain is not being named. It's it's just a nameless rain. Uh, These streets are being flooded. Yeah, they did a skit in front of City Hall. And that's what I thought was really creative, because I find that with social change, it's hard, sometimes hard for the audience to imagine what what needs to happen. A skit.
0: We're talking about like a Saturday night
2: but sort of, they they got up what about drainage how do you do that well well <laughs> well it's uh, everything starts with yeah. um the, the actions of people who like are able to push the levers they were pretending to be someone in office who would need to be making decisions and they got up and introduced themselves and they said hey i'm going to fix 311 i know you guys are calling 311 to get the drains cleaned and it's not happening, so I'm going to fix it and kind of <laughs> helping people imagine how this, you know, this issue can be solved. Yeah.
0: All right, Evan, what is your moment
1: of joy this week? My moment of joy, and I'm going to go with a bit of a cliche, are the James Beard Awards for <laughs> Houston restaurants. All
0: right. What about it?
1: Uh, that I love it. I love seeing all these restaurants get national attention. Uh, it gives me a list of places I need to go and also makes me feel... Like, I was in the know for having gone to these, some of these places before they got their awards. Okay,
0: and just to back up, there is a long list of Houston restaurants that are up for national awards in addition to the Texas Chef mm-hmm.
1: Award, right? Well, you've got uh, Best Tour, that's uh, Chris Williams at Lucille's. You've got Outstanding Pastry Chef, is Ruben Ortega at Zochi, You've got Outstanding Hospitality at Hugo's. You've got Outstanding Bar Program at Julep. And then you've got those... Best Chef, Texas. You've got Aaron Bloodhorn at Bloodhorn's. You've got Sylvia Casares at Sylvia's uh-huh. Enchilada Kitchen. I want to give her a special shout out because uh, her son, Nick, is my dear friend. And because she is the queen of Houston <laughs> Enchiladas, that makes him the crown prince of Houston Enchiladas. Oh, Evan.
0: Evan. All right. Go on.
1: <laughs> You've got Christine Ha and Tony Wynn at Jin Chow. You've got, I'm going to mispronounce some names here. Ah, uh, Cuihan at Blood Brothers Barbecue in Bel Air. We've got Kaiser at Lach- Lashkari at Himalaya, and we've got Philippe Riccio at March, which I've never been to. That that's on the top of my list now.
0: Yeah, it was. I was very happy just to see both the length of that list and a ton of people who the Beard Awards have often passed over. You know, mm-hmm. there are a ton of non-white people, like Kaiser at Himalaya. He's out on. He's out at Hillcroft. This is not what you usually think of as like a chef place. place. Oh,
1: he was in that episode of, uh, was it No Reservations?
0: Yeah, but there's a ton of, you know, non-white people on that list, oh, which yeah. I thought was unusual for the Beard Awards, and it makes sense that Houston would have a better mm-hmm. showing. That made me happy.
1: And I just going to say, if you're going to Himalaya, if they have it that day, the best fried chicken in Houston. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's a serious claim. Mm -hmm. Shiam, is there anything else that's making you happy right now? Any small thing? No, I was.
2: uh, (laughs) I came in with three really serious news um, things that have been like dominating the, the 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 headlines this week. The other one we didn't get to was Ken Paxton. Um and Dan Patrick. If
0: you can find any joy in Ken no, and no, no, Patrick, no, 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 I no, 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 it. no,
2: no, 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 no. But we didn't get to it. But I'm trying to slip yeah. it in because I'm that kind of person. <laughs> that was extremely stressful, you know, like the the right. basically. Um. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe another episode, but. I think um my cat yeah. my cat brought me a lot of joy this week and Evan thanks for those <laughs> list of restaurants to revisit and visit for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um yeah, it's been a stressful week so maybe we should uh show some love to the to the restaurants. Also keep an eye out to see how we might support some new neighbors that might come.
1: Houston needs more refugees. Please come here.
2: We need less war in the world, but every city <laughs> Every city should be a place of uh, safety and sanctuary, and mm-hmm. and I want Houston to be a place where um, you know people people feel safe. Thank you both. This
0: has been great.
2: Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Evan.
1: Well, thank you.
0: That's about it for today. One new thing: if you want to get in touch, you can now text us. Send your show ideas or comments to seven one three. 489-6972. Our show is produced by Dina Kesba and Farrell Gibbs, and this week we've had help from CityCast development producer Natalie Rivera. Our theme music is by Farrell Gibbs and his band All The Kimonos. I, Lisa Gray, write the CityCast Houston newsletter, and you, dear listener, should subscribe to it. You can sign up at houston.citycast.fm. We will be back on Monday. Talk with you then. what our music sounds like. Pam pam pam. Okay.